Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. It is 7 a.m. on this Tuesday, December the 5th. I'm Adam Wright. Let's begin our morning together in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've got some wonderful stuff for you on the uh, on Roadmap to Heaven today. We've got an opportunity for you. You know, the other day on, on Sunday, we went to a concert, and it was wonderful. And uh, make no bones about it, 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 it was a concert. It was not a, a service or anything like that. But there was a lot of Christmas music, and it was one of our favorite bluegrass bands. And, and we loved it because there was a lot of faith woven into it as well. They're, they're very open about their faith, and uh, it, it was just quite lovely. But, you know, as lovely as that was, there are some opportunities within the context of our faith to pray and to sing and not just for the sake of a concert, but to actually lift our voices in song and worship. And one of those is Lessons in Carols. It's a great Advent tradition. We're going to visit with Father Nick Smith to hear about an opportunity for that coming up in just a few weeks here in St. Louis. So that's all ahead on the show today. Let's go now to Mike Roberts for our Saint of the Day. Today is the feast day of St. Sabas. Born in what is now Turkey in the mid-5th century, his father was an army officer. When he and his wife were sent to Alexandria, Egypt, he asked his brother to take care of Sabas, but he was abusive, and so at the age of eight, Sabas ran away to live with another relative. Over the years, more family conflict followed Sabas, and so he ran away again, this time to join a monastery. As he grew older, his family pleaded with him to return and marry, but instead, Sabas made his way to Jerusalem and in his late teens entered the monastery of Bishop Flavian. He longed to live the life of a hermit, but was considered too young. St. Euthymius became his mentor, and when he was about 30, Sabas was at last given permission to live in a nearby cave five days a week. After Euthymius died, Sabas moved deeper into the desert to an area near Jericho where he lived for several years. Eventually, he attracted followers, and reluctantly, Sabas agreed to lead them as their ranks grew to about 150. The Bishop of Jerusalem convinced Sabas to become a priest in order to effectively lead his monastic community, and he did, but he continued to seek time alone for prayer. Each year during Lent, Sabas left his monks for long periods of time. Unhappy with this, a group of 60 formed a new community nearby. When Sabas learned they were struggling, he generously gave them supplies and assisted with the repair of their church. Over the years, Sabas preached throughout the region, bringing many back to the church. And at the age of 91, after a plea from the Bishop of Jerusalem, he traveled to Constantinople to quell a revolt. But when he returned, Sabas fell ill and died on this day in 532 at the monastery of Marsaba. Today, that monastery is still inhabited by monks of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And St. Sabas is regarded as one of the most significant figures in early monasticism. St. Sabas, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. 
Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are on the road once again, this time back at the Cardinal Regali Center, the home of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, at least from the, the office standpoint. I always think of the Cathedral Basilica, I suppose, as home. And I'm happy to be joined by the rector of the Old Cathedral, who I also call one of my pastors, Father Nicholas Smith. Father Smith, it's good to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. That's good to be with you. First off, any chance to talk about the old cathedral is a good chance. Uh, it, it's a beautiful church. It's a wonderful parish, and it, it's so picturesque right on the riverfront. And now, uh, not when it was constructed, but now underneath the Gateway Arch, uh, an iconic landmark in our region. Um, it's always great to talk about it. Today, you have a special invitation for our listeners this Advent to come to a special service of Lessons and Carols on Sunday, December 17th at 2 p.m. And this is something that, uh, you know, with my music background, I, I know Lessons and Carols. I, I listen to it every year. Actually, I watch it, uh, the BBC broadcast of it online. But some might be saying Lessons and Carols. Well, well what's that? And, and you're here to enlighten us. Well, Lessons and Carols, it's a service of scripture and music, and it started around the 19th century. And it is an Anglican tradition, the Church of England. Um, and they have such a beautiful choral tradition, so it probably makes sense that this ceremony arose. And in the Lessons and Carols program, we listen to nine scripture readings, and they recall, first of all, the fall, then the promise of a Messiah, the incarnation, and then the Great Commission to go out and to preach the good news. And each lesson, then, is followed by a carol. However, I think there's a couple of just maybe musical pieces without any words to it, but most of the... Most of the readings are accompanied by a carol or some other song that reflects the meaning of the of the particular reading, and then it's followed or concluded with a brief prayer. So for many Catholics, this should somewhat sound a little bit familiar because it's very similar to what we do at the Easter Vigil, the second part of the Easter Vigil with the Liturgy of the Word. As you know, the Easter Vigil is the mother of all vigils, as is noted in the Roman Missal. But in that service, there are nine readings seven from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament. And after each reading, there is a responsorial psalm, um, which connects with the reading, and then the reading is concluded with a prayer. And there's a progression of the readings at the Easter Vigil, creation, sacrifice of Abraham, passage through the Red Sea, then finally concluding with the gospel of the resurrection. So there's a lot of similarity between the Lessons and Carols program done at Christmas always done on Christmas Eve. We're doing it early, of course, but it's typically done on Christmas Eve. The connection between this ceremony of lessons and carols and what we're used to as Catholics uh, as part of the Easter Vigil liturgy. That's really, uh, you know, an interesting parallel, both in terms of structure and content. Salvation history, salvation history one, to help us focus on the glory and the, uh, you know, overwhelming need and value of Redemption and the resurrection, you know, that, you know, even trying to put the correct adjectives with that, I can't overstate how vital redemption is without it. Well, it'd be pretty terrible after we die. Uh, but then in, in this case, reflecting on the need for the incarnation, which the two are so closely linked, the, the incarnation and the paschal mystery. Uh, so I, I love how this brings us together and you know, I, I think of the traditions we have as families of, of what we do in Advent to prepare and, and some of the 
calendars we have at home, having the event wreath at home. Those are wonderful things we've been talking about on the show recently, but this is a nice liturgical way Mm -hmm. to prepare us. So it's not the Mass, but it is certainly a liturgical devotion that we're going to have a a structure with prayer, readings, and songs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's relatively new in the United States, but also relatively new in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, because when I was the Master of Ceremonies at the uh, New Cathedral, and I don't remember the year, uh, it was under Dr. Buckholz, that um, Horace Buckholz, the former director of sacred music for the Archdiocese, that we began this program. And the first one was held at the Regali Center for the Curia. I want to say maybe like in 17 or 18. Then from there, it moved to the New Cathedral for a couple of years, and then COVID happened, and it was suspended for a few years. And then it got moved down to the Old Cathedral. So this is the third time that it's being hosted or held at the Old Cathedral. Now, this is different from a concert, and I I think you've established that for us. This is an opportunity not to just hear the choir sing, but also to join in the singing as well. And I love that because when I was a parish music director, Christmas was my favorite time of the year because it was the time you could most hear the congregation singing. And there's something special when we all lift our voices in song. Uh, Even the worst singers among us don't sound bad at Christmas time. No, and you're so right, because I I don't have the program standing here in front of me. I think there are a couple carols that are strictly done by the choir, but the bulk of these are sung congregationally. And I do remember the last couple of years, I mean, yes, the roof kind of rattles a little bit because everybody knows them. So you mentioned that this is relatively new in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and really, we should say, in the United States, and I think this is one of those wonderful things of technology, that this tradition uh, goes back to the Anglican Church, it goes back to the United Kingdom, thanks to radio and television, and now the internet, you can actually tune into a beautiful service of lessons and carols from King's College Cambridge, I think, every year? Yes, uh, uh, yep. on, on the BBC. Yes, you can. But what, what's the history of it? I would think this is this is a no-brainer. Will you get religious people who celebrate Christmas together to say, well, let's sing some carols in church? Well, it's kind of, I don't know if ironic is the word, but it certainly does have a bit of an interesting uh, history to it. Um, as you mentioned, it has been associated with King's College at, at Cambridge. And yes, that's broadcast on the BBC. I know NPR uh, broadcasts and, and, and also airs it. For us, that would be late morning um, on on Christmas Eve. But the origins go back to um, Truro uh, Cathedral in Cornwall in England. Up to the 19th century, the singing of Christmas carols was what we usually envision, uh, caroling, where they would go from house to house to house. And they were generally not, Christmas carols that is, were not generally um, included in Christian worship, um, because they were considered to be too secular in nature. Well, during the Victorian era, uh, with the rising popularity of hymnody, it encouraged church musicians to introduce Christmas carols into worship. And actually, the first collection of Christmas carols happened in 1875. It was a book of carols called Carols for Use in the Church During Christmas and Epiphany. Now, this is the Anglican Church. Um, Around the same time, there was another collection of Christmas carols that was entitled Christmas Carols Old and New, published um, in 1878. And that collection of carols was introduced in the uh, Choral Evensong service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London in 1878. Choral Evensong is very similar to our sung Vespers uh, 
evening prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours that many people might be familiar with. Well, two years later, the Right Reverend Edward White Benson, who was the Bishop of Truro, Cornwall, conducted the first formal service of nine lessons and carols on Christmas Eve, 1880. Now, just as an aside, and this is only because I teach English literature at the seminary for the college guys in Glennon, but Bishop Edward Benson was the father of Father Robert Hugh Benson. And Father Robert Hugh Benson was first an Anglican, and then he was received into the Catholic Church in 1903, and then he was ordained a Catholic priest in the next year. Monsignor Benson, some of you might be familiar with that name. He's the one that, he was a prolific writer of fiction. He wrote that great dystopian novel, Lord of the World, uh, which my college students read at, at the seminary, and it's very timely. I'm not necessarily putting a plug in for the book. However, um, Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis have both said that this book is prophetic and that people should read it, and I would encourage you to read it. Benson also wrote Come Rack, Come Rope, which is another great book which talks about the persecution of Catholics during Elizabethan times, um, but back to lessons and carols. <laughs> so so how did it come about? Well, Benson uh, was very concerned about the excessive consumption of alcohol at Cornish pubs during the festive season. And uh, as we, we do today. I think what we say in our family is uh, when we go caroling, because we do go caroling every year at my parents' uh, house in their neighborhood, uh, we've been known to bring a cup of cheer yeah, there with you us. Go. Okay. <laughs> well, he was worried about the number of cups of cheer <laughs> that people were consuming. So um, he wanted to get the revelers out of the pubs and into the church by offering some kind of a religious celebration at Christmas. So he came up with the idea of a service consisting of Christmas music and interspersed in that would be uh, biblical readings. So that was held at the cathedral at Turo. The official name is the Cathedral of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that's an Anglican church. It's a Victorian Gothic building, and it was still under construction when this first Lessons and Carols was held, so the services had to be moved to a temporary structure, which served as a pro-cathedral. Now, for some people in the Archdiocese, that should be a little bit familiar because um, St. John the Apostle and Evangelist, downtown, close to the old cathedral, is also a pro-cathedral because when services got too big to be accommodated at the old cathedral, they went up to St. John the Evangelist, and that served as the cathedral, quote-unquote, until the new cathedral was finished in about 1914. So we even have a pro-cathedral here in St. Louis. Um, So when that first Lessons of Carols was held, it was held on Christmas Eve at 10 p.m., and there were 400 people in attendance. And in 2013, what the people at the Truro Cathedral did was they did a uh, reconstruction of Bishop Benson's original 1880 service, and it was attended this time by over 1,500 people. So in terms of the United States, it first came here in 1916. Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island had a a service. And as you mentioned, uh, the BBC picked it up, first on radio and then on TV. And that really kind of started the tradition of it being picked up by institutions uh, here in the United States. One of the things I, I enjoy every year, speaking of the BBC broadcast of this, uh, and this is a little tidbit for those of you listening on the podcast, is they actually do the service twice. They do the one that they record for broadcast, and then they have the, the service on Christmas Eve itself. And if you go to the one that they record, 
to say that the rules are strict about what you can bring in, no phones, not nothing that can make noise. Uh, they take it very seriously, but it really is. Every year when we put up the tree and the ornaments, it's I, I stream it on our television, and I can think of no better thing to fill the house with than, than sacred music while we're decorating the home for Christmas. And uh, that's really, again, not that there's anything wrong with enjoying the, the festivity that the secular world offers and in many ways. There are limits to that, of course, but the ice skating is good and the, the s'mores gathered around the fire pit out when you go see the lights here or there. That's all good. But to bring it back to the sacred, the entire, as the, the, the cliche says, Jesus is the reason for the season, to bring it back to that, this is a wonderful opportunity to enjoy something a, a little different. As we said, it, it's not Mass, but it is a liturgical service, and really help prepare our minds and our hearts to celebrate the incarnation on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Well, you know, and we had we were talking about this before we started recording, but you know, this is an, a good example of ecumenism. I mean, you know, here is because the, the Anglicans do; they have a beautiful choral tradition, and um, to learn from them and to incorporate that into our way of doing things is, is a great way of, of working together. Yeah, I, it, it, it is a great example. I think of. Uh, there's a Benedictine Abbey nearby and an Anglican church near the Abbey that they each have sung Vespers. And on one Wednesday of the month, the, the Benedictines go to the Anglican church and on the other, the Anglican choir comes to the Benedictine Abbey. And uh, it's great ecumenism because it's singing the Psalms, it's praying the Psalms. And that's certainly something that we can do together. And maybe just one day that that will lead to, as, as we say, that all would be one. Mm-hmm. Again, that great wish of our Lord. Um, the old cathedral, of course, a very picturesque setting for this and a place that you can come for lessons and carols. Also, you can come to mass there. It's I, I like to think of it as everyone's parish, just mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm, new cathedral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, mass times on Saturday are 5.30 p.m. and then Sunday 8, 10, noon, or 10.30 noon, noon and, and 5, 5 in p.m. The afternoon, yeah. yeah. What about Christmas? Christmas, um, there is a mass at 5 and that is preceded by a choral uh, program of, of carols beginning at four o'clock and then there is a 10 o'clock mass in in the night then christmas day masses are 8 10 30 and noon and there's not a not a five o'clock okay now some have said and as a resident of the city of st louis this is very important to me to to clarify here it's like oh you know, is it is it okay to go down to the old cathedral? I mean, do I need do I need an escort? Do I need uh, do I need to wear armor? No, you you do not. <laughs> no, you do not. I I live there with Father Peter Fonseca lives there uh, with me. Uh, the rectory is right there, and I know many people have asked that question. Do you feel safe down there? Without a doubt, because I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, and I just saw this the other day. But um, and I really didn't delve into the story. But um, whatever survey was done, the arch was ranked as the safest national park in the United States, and I can probably attest to that because we walk around on the grounds. I'm not going to go on the grounds at midnight. I mean, I don't know that anyone should be walking around anywhere at midnight. But you know, we walk over on the grounds many times during the day. The uh, rangers are always patrolling the area, and we literally abut. 
to the government property. It is – there's no – worries of anything down there. And actually, it is so easily accessible. You take the exit off of 44, you're right there. When you leave, you get right back on 44. You don't even have to go into the city. Yeah, so it's, we've never had any problems. I, I love when we go to 8 o'clock Sunday morning mass, you, playing Count the Rangers, because there are a number of rangers. They come to 8 o'clock mass and then go work their shift yep. over at the Arch. Well, well then you see the, the, the parking lot attendant, Larry, yep. one of yep. our better parking lot attendants. Yep. He's always there waving at everybody, letting them in for mass. And we yeah. have that because – if we didn't have somebody demand the lot, we'd have we could everybody have church. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there'd be all the arch people parked yeah. on there, so we kind of regulate who's there on the weekend. I, I know one one time I had to plead my case and say, "No, I'm really here for mass, despite what Father says about me. I really am here for mass." Well, I gave him a picture of your family and said, "The family's in, but this guy, <laughs> this a guy, suspect. yeah, <laughs> we don't know about him." Well, Father, th- this has been wonderful to hear about it, and uh, I, I look forward to the many ways we can celebrate throughout the season of Advent and the season of Christmas that follows to not only prepare our hearts, but just celebrate the joy that is the incarnation um, and to to pray that, you know, especially those hearts that our Lord needs to reach um, that have been close to him, that this season might bring about that opportunity for for him to get in there with grace and say, okay, we're going to bring you into the church or bring you back to the church through the beauty of Advent and Christmas. Could I ask you to... uh, Can I give one one plug? I realize that this is a little bit early. And I don't even know if this is appropriate for this or not. However, I'm kind of excited about it. Um, we have been in the process of renovating um, the old cathedral museum. And people might not be aware that there is an old cathedral museum, but there is. It's two floors. And we just put a lift in. So for those who would need that kind of yeah. assistance to get down to the lower level. And the Archives of St. Louis has completely redone the museum. And it actually looks like a museum. It's not completely finished yet, but it actually, the displays that they have in there, it's, it's all museum quality. The first floor will detail the history of the church itself. And then when you go down to the lower level where um, Bishop Rosati is buried, that's how the cathedral fits into the history of the city of St. Louis and the history of the Catholic Church in St. Louis. So that will be officially opened by Archbishop Rosansky in May. But there are opportunities before that to wonderful. So sorry, I had to give a little. Yeah, we're we're no. really kind of ex- and that's going to be a big draw because the op- the door um, is right on the main thoroughfare of people going to the arch, yeah. and we know that they've been in there in the past, and we're looking forward to them coming in again. If if memory serves, it is the only piece of property in the entire city of St. Louis that has never yep. changed hands. Yep. It's never yep. changed ownership. Yep. No, it has not. All right. Well, Father, this has been wonderful and a great opportunity for us to learn about lessons and carols. Could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Sure. Loving God, you are the giver of all that is good, and we are certainly very thankful for the many gifts that you give to us, especially the gift of your Son who came as one of us in order to give his life for us. We ask that you be with each one of us as we prepare this great this great season of expectation, this great season of hope. Open our hearts and our souls to the presence of the Spirit in our lives And give to us that courage and that grace that we need to go forth and to spread that good news with all those that we meet. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We stop on this Tuesday for our daily dose of encouragement. This week, Patty Schneier is leading us in reflections on the Incarnation and the Eucharist. Patty, good morning to you. Good morning. And... 
I want to talk about how we're showing parallels between the Eucharist and the Incarnation. Yesterday was very, very basic. They are both miracles. Let's just start with that basic foundation. Today, I want to talk about some specifics of these miracles. Both the Eucharist and the Incarnation are, in a sense, the same miracle. It's the eternal word made flesh in a different way, but both of them are the miracle of the word made flesh. The second person of the blessed Trinity condescends to us, comes down from heaven in a total act of humility. Both miracles could be rightly named Emmanuel, God with us. Both the incarnation and the Eucharist are God's way of saying, I love you so much. I want to come down from heaven to be with you. And I remember seeing this for the first time at a place in at a retreat center in Lincoln, Nebraska. I think I've shared this before on the year, but there was a retreat center where it says over on the podium where the, where the word is proclaimed the word. And then on the altar engraved in the altar, it says, and the word became flesh. And then on the tabernacle, it says, and dwelt among us. So that gave that very visual, the word saying, this is where the eternal word of God becomes flesh, just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago. So the miracle is the word becomes flesh. Yes, we're at Calvary. Yes, we're also always proclaiming the death and resurrection of our Lord. But it is also another incarnation. The Word became flesh, a wonderful thing for us to contemplate during this season of Advent, especially if we contemplate in the presence of our Lord who became flesh in our churches and adoration chapels. Patty, thank you for this dose of encouragement. We want to share with you one other opportunity this morning if you were listening to our interview with Father Smith on Lessons and Carols and saying, oh, I'd like to go to something like that. On Sunday, December 10th at 2 p.m., there will be an Advent program. It's not Lessons and Carols. It's an Advent program at the Carmelite Monastery on Clayton Road. Again, Sunday, December 10th at 2 p.m., featuring Maria Vargo and the Carmelite sisters, Christina Heddle and Michelle Malawi as well. So an opportunity for some seasonal preparation. And uh, I, I know this, I love visiting the Carmelite Monastery whenever I get the chance. It's such a beautiful, peaceful place. Well, that's our Tuesday. You know, on this Tuesday, we pray our perpetual help prayers traditionally. I, I don't know if you pray them in your parish, you pray them on your own. Uh, we pray them often here in the radio station as a staff together. And it's that great reminder for me each and every Tuesday. You know, this this whole season of Advent is a season of preparation, preparing to receive the Lord into our heart. Well, part of that might mean converting and turning away from the things that occupy place in our heart that shouldn't. You know, whether it's that temptation to anger, to gossip, to lust, to pick whatever sin you struggle with. Uh, we've got to clear that out of the way, and we have to make room for our Lord. You know, the funny thing about it is I'm saying we have to do this, except, you know, I don't know about you, but I cannot do it on my own. I need God's help. I need help. I need assistance. I need grace. And luckily, the Blessed Mother every day is willing to pray for me, is willing to pray for you that God would give us that grace. And so let's turn to her today. We have no 
greater intercessor as a saint, as one of our brothers and sisters that walked a life on this earth than the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is so close to her son. They are inseparable, inseparable in how closely united they are. So ask for her help. A great way is to, again, pray the perpetual help devotion, pray the rosary today. Uh, spend some time, too, making room in your heart by, I, I don't know if you're reading a book this Advent or what you might be doing to reflect to to lead you deeper in prayer, but set some time aside. Turn off the TV. Turn off the the, the whatever it is you have on your phone, your tablet. Uh, we hope you're listening to Covenant Network, but we would even say turn off the radio for a little bit to spend some time with our Lord in prayer. And then when you're finished, turn the radio back on and listen to the great programs here on Covenant Network. But Spend that time in quiet this Advent, making room in your heart. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mother of perpetual help, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us on this Tuesday morning. Visit the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. There's more to our interview with Father Smith that we taped on the road. We had to uh, cut some of it for time this morning, but you can hear the full thing there. We go a little deeper into the history of lessons and carols if you'd like to know about that. Plus, we've got some great stuff out there on the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Also, visit Saint of the Day, Daily Dose of Encouragement, The Splendor of You, Explore Church History. We have so much more for you out there. If you want to find those, go to your favorite podcast player, type in those titles, or just go to OurCatholicRadio.org. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.